future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Monday, July 24th, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts from our own backyard and from across the country. You can join us at the end of the week, too, for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And you can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And you can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. And you can help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. And leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. And for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the RickSmithShow.com, the voice of the working class, for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you haven't already. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast at Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly, Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check them out on the buckscountybeacon.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out all their great work at the buckscountybeacon.org. And for all you gamers out there, The Game In, that's with two N's, The Game In is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at The Game In, that's with two N's. Got a question about a game, look for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And a shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at at Man. two N's, at Man on Twitter. And we can't let Paul Martino, Moms for Liberty, and their oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking toxic organizations that inject our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Yes, well, on today's show, I am absolutely thrilled, right, to welcome Alexander Bradbury to the show. 
Al is the editor of Labor Notes, the media and organizing project amplifying the work of union activists, putting the movement back into the labor movement. We'll be talking about her new article, UPS Teamsters Just Practicing? <laughs> like, I always think there should be a question mark there. Uh, but Just Practicing is co-written with Luis Feliz Leon about the impending UPS strike and decades of organizing work by union activists to change the leadership of the Teamsters and bring the fight back to their union. Al Bradbury joined the staff of Labor Notes in 2012 after working with hospital workers as a researcher and organizer for Service Employees Local 49 in Oregon. Al edits Labor Notes and covers postal workers and Teamsters. She's also an occasional singer-songwriter, yes indeed, and she is based out of Seattle. You can check her out on Twitter at, at A-L underscore Bradbury, B-R-A-D-B-U-R-Y. Um, and everything that has happening at Labor Notes at www.labornotes.org. Al, welcome to the show and thanks so much for joining us. Kevin, so much for having me. Thanks so much for having me. It's a treat. Yeah, I am so thrilled. Like I was saying to you a little bit before the show today, I'm so psyched to finally have you on. Um, um, I had just, you know, seems like every day there is a, a reason to have like uh, to read labor notes, to check out what's happening in labor notes um, and um, to get somebody out here to talk about what's happening in the labor movement because it's such an exciting time. So it really is. I feel lucky to work at labor notes during a time when there's so much going on. Oh, my God. Tell me about it. Um, I, I remember still I'm thinking back to those, you know, the pictures of some of the labor notes conference, like uh, where right after the kind of Amazon organizing drive really started going just like packed rooms of people and the energy just being absolutely insane for people that are looking for kind of, you know, a more kind of militant kind of rank and file based working class unionism. It's amazing. So I know uh, for anyone who missed it, there's another chance coming up for the labor notes conference uh, next April. Next April. 19th to 21st. Mark your calendars now. Yeah, there you go. We will make sure to put that a link to in the show notes and we'll be we'll be uh definitely gonna be promoting that as we get closer to it. Um, but if you haven't been to the Labor Notes conference, you really should check it out. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, all their kind of organizing institutes, the different workshops that they hold. Um, you got a, a workshop that's coming up soon about say, you know, hey, you your union broke your heart. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> I think that's tomorrow night, isn't it? That's tomorrow night. Believe that's right. Yeah, very good. So, um, links for all that will be in tonight's show notes. Well, listen, Al. Before we jump into your article and the UPS strike in particular, for those folks who may might not be familiar um, with the work that Labor Notes does and the work that you're doing here, um, and the specific focus that you have in your journalism over there, can you talk a little bit about Labor Notes um, and kind of as an organization and what you kind of tend to cover? Labor Notes has been around since 1979. Uh, and got started really around that idea of what do you do when your union breaks your heart. Uh, there were at that time rank and file movements for greater militancy and greater democracy in their unions in several of the major unions, in the Teamsters, in the mine workers, in the auto workers, in the steel workers, um, members who were pushing uh, for a more democratic union, for a more militant union, um, to, to fight for more. Uh, and. Um, they, this, of course, was before the internet, but the people who started Labor Notes as a monthly newsletter wanted to create a uh, a sense um, that those people together were part of a bigger a bigger movement, a, a current in the labor movement, um, not only within their own union, but sort of a, a, a cross-union movement for a different kind of union movement. Um, and so Labor Notes was born as a, as a monthly magazine. And we continue to publish a monthly magazine in print. Of course, we also publish online as well. We do lots of reporting and, and we both um, we both cover news in labor, but also how to. So I think often you'll see 
you'll you'll read stories in labor notes that you might not read anywhere else or a different kind of coverage in labor notes than you'll see anywhere else um, because we're thinking about an audience of fellow workers union activists uh, workplace activists who may not be in a union the questions you might have about how how did they organize this strike how did workers transform this union how might you know what kind of things would i want to know that i could take uh, and apply in my own workplace so we're really we we try to be a hub of organizing and skills and practical connections between workers uh, and the conferences and trainings that we do really grew out of that as well so we have this big conference every two years uh, the last one was in 2022 and the next one will be next april in Chicago, where people come together in person, we organize local schools like the Philadelphia Troublemaker School that you've been a part of, Kevin. We've also mm -hmm. done them in Pittsburgh, and you know, and of course around the country, that are aimed at bringing people together, rank and file to rank and file from different unions to say, well, what are we doing? You know, how, how are you dealing with this problem as stewards? How are you organizing? What tactics have you found to work? What are you running up against? Um, so that we should have those connections, not just the president of this union talks to the president of that union, right. but uh, all of us are, are talking to each other, learning from one another and helping each other keep going. It can be a really lonely pursuit being a labor activist uh, in your workplace. Sometimes it can be really hard. Sometimes you can feel like I'm the only one. How do I even get started? Um, so connecting with one another to keep each other going, to strengthen our work, to inspire each other, to you know buoy each other up. Um, and that's what Labor Notes is about. We have books, uh, we have t-shirts, we have lots awesome of online workshops now. Uh, the uh, the pandemic um, has really, uh, you know, sort of prompted us to do a lot of online stuff. And it turns out that's a great way uh, to reach people, to have a low cost training. Um, like you, you mentioned, we do When Your Union Breaks Your Heart. We do a series almost every month on Secrets of a Successful Organizer. It's a three workshop series. Um, we do uh, a monthly workshop for stewards on different steward skills. Uh, we've just started doing a race and labor workshop every month. So there's lots you can take part in online as well. Yeah. And I'd say what I've always appreciated about labor notes. I mean, uh, I remember first coming across labor notes back, back in God, it must've been the like 1990s. Um, and, um, when it was really at, you know, labor was taking a hit. It was, you know, uh, in the a decade and a half after uh, Reagan first went after the air traffic controllers. Um, and it was not exactly a, a high spirited time in labor. And what was always amazing to me about the work of labor notes is the voice of workers was always brought to the front. Um, and the real, like the difficult, naughty, discussions that need to happen to build a strong movement were always highlighted. And, you know, to the point where sometimes labor notes was not exactly, you know, given uh, the front table at the, you know, <laughs> the international union, like, you know, movement, um, but in the best way possible, right? You know, it's like the whole idea, if like we really tru truly believe that, you know, we are the union, not the, you know, the people who are representatives at the top, but workers bound together to form a union in order to kind of have that sense of collective power. Those discussions, uh, you know, certainly not in the mainstream media, very often not in kind of, you know, um, the broader discussions about labor, even among the labor movement. But to have workers, that space, the one kind of special space where kind of, you know, those workers' voices and the real struggles and the hard work of building a fighting union uh, was always foreground. And, you know, I thank you, I mean, the work that you've done since you've been there, but, you know, just for labor notes in general, for just being an amazing institution. One of my favorite labor notes books is titled Democracy is Power. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that has been one of the core ideas behind Labor Notes, that we shouldn't just make our unions more democratic because that's sort of a virtuous thing to do, right. but because if the power of an organization really is, you know, unions, our, our power is not mainly that we have money like, like, the, like the other side. Our power is mainly our solidarity, our willingness to take action together, our unity and our numbers. That's where workers' power lies, that we can grind things to a halt by stopping, right? Ultimately, the strike is our power. Um, and so if that's true, then a participatory organization, organization where everybody can act in the name of the organization, where everybody's involved and engaged is essential to exercising that power. Just like signing a card and being a member isn't enough. Democracy is, is an essential ingredient to maximize that power. And I think the, the potential strike, the contract campaign we're seeing at the um, among the Teamsters at UPS is a great example of that. And the movement that led to it, the many year movement that, that got us to this point really illustrates why that is true. 100%. And this is exactly why I wanted to have you on tonight, because we right now, as we know, um, I was, you know, seeing news stories after news stories come up today. And it's all about like, you know, the anxiety of like, oh, is he going to crash the economy? Oh, could this strike happen? Like, and so, you know, this is, you know, this could potentially be one of the largest strikes. Um, well, it is going to be the, if it, if the strike happens, it'll be one of the largest strikes in kind of ages, decades, right? Of 350,000 uh, Teamsters that would potentially be um, on the picket lines across the country. So, I want to spend most of the time tonight really talking about what got us here, but where are we now? Just to get everybody on the table. So what we're at the point now where um, my understanding is that there was a finally agreement that we've got this on, I think Friday that they were going to, they were going to go back to the table maybe one time, but it looks like a strike is more and more likely. Um, so where does see things seem to be at this moment? So they've been in bargaining for months, the Teamsters and UPS, and they've already reached tentative agreement on quite a lot of things. I think essentially on all the non-economic issues, which include some very big things. Uh, they they won agreement, for instance, on installing air conditioning and all the new delivery trucks, which will be about a third of the fleet. That's an important one as climate crisis continues exactly. to you know put more and more workers in in extreme heat day after day. Um, they won eliminating driver-facing surveillance cameras, reining in the subcontracting of the feeder driver work. That's the big trucks that bring uh, packages from facility to facility. Uh, ending the forced sixth punch for drivers, which is to say uh, drivers who aren't assigned to work on Saturday as part of their regular schedule have for months and years now been often forced in to work on Saturday, whether they wanted to or not, they're going to end that. They're going to put an end to this two-tier pay uh, for drivers, which was a major concession agreed to in the last contract five years ago that people were just livid about. And mm -hmm. actually, uh, people voted down the contract over it and uh, the union leadership found a loophole to impose the contract anyway. So maybe we'll get into that history. Mm -hmm. So they've, they've won tentative agreements on a lot of these things. The things that are left on the table, um, often the last things you deal with in bargaining are the economics, are well, what's the raise going to be? And in particular, the sticking point is the pay of part-timers. So the workers inside, yeah, I think when we picture UPS workers, often, you know, if we don't work there, the people we have most in mind are the people in the brown uniforms who come to your door and deliver your package, the delivery drivers. But something like 60% of the workforce is people you never do see who work inside in, you know, warehouses and hubs who are unloading the trucks, uh, who are loading up the, the smaller trucks, who are sorting the packages and putting them on conveyor belts and diverting them along conveyor belts. Um, 
And, uh, and those workers are overwhelmingly part-time. Uh, many people who would like a full-time job, but they're, they're kept at these three and a half hour shifts um, that uh, you know, the company has found convenient. And their starting wage around the country is $15.50 an hour. In some areas, there's a market rate adjustment that UPS can take away or, or add at will um, in, to be able to hire, because as you can imagine, it's hard to hire people for these really grueling jobs at $15.50. But uh, the workers have been saying, we want $25 an hour. <laughs> like, this is hard work. We're, you know, we're unloading a thousand packages an hour, if you can imagine that. Uh, we're, you know, in grueling conditions where it's hot. There's, there's a ton of harassment people face from supervisors. Uh, and... Um, and the wages are are very low. You could go do a much easier job for that wage in, in many places. So uh, so that's one of the sticking points. And uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, they seem to be at an impasse, right? Both yep. sides had walked away from the table. Uh, UPS was saying, we just can't put any more, you know, this is the, we've given, we, they, they didn't officially make it a final offer, but they were saying like, we can't do it anymore. We, uh, and, and so the union bargaining team went home to their home locals and did these practice pickets. The um, top leaders were touring the country, visiting, you know, rallying with with workers in different places and supporting these pickets. And what do you know, UBS last week came back and said, I think we can come up with some more money. <laughs> Funny how that worked. We couldn't, but now we, 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 you know, turned over the cushions on the sofa. We found yeah, some more, it, like, let's come back and meet again. Yeah, underneath um, the, so, the, so, the sofa cushions, we found another, uh, I don't know, a few hundred million dollars like was lying around, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Carol Tomei's pocket money, the uh, <laughs> CEO, um, who earned uh, $27.6 million last, uh, last year, by the way, 548 times what the median worker is getting. So she might she might have a little bit in her back pocket. Indeed. Um, so, indeed. but, you know, I mean, as we so often see happens, right? Uh, they said they just couldn't do anymore. It wasn't possible. But when they see the power workers have, they're like, OK, so this week, UPS and the union bargaining team are back at the table two things could happen. Either they reach a deal in time, we have a, a week left uh, until the deadline. Um, either they reach a deal, in which case, uh, you know, workers are voting on a tentative agreement, but there's there's not a strike, or they don't reach a deal, and there is a strike on August 1st. Yep. And what I think this is, uh, this was, was such a key moment for me. They say like, well, look, we're not just going to say, well, we're negotiating and we'll see if we're still working. No, no, here's your deadline, <laughs> right? We, there's plenty of time. We've been talking now for months. Here's the deadline. We can come up with a deal or not, <laughs> right? And so it's your call. You know, it's like, it's your call. We're here. We're at the table. We're, we're letting them meet. That's what the teams have been saying. And I have to say the, the power of the, the uh, you know, both union leadership and members to basically, no, 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 we're not going to sell out part timers for a deal for the full timers. I mean, Alex is writing in basically saying, yeah, we're looking at about 110,000 part timers um, that, you know, is represented by the Teamsters and UPS. And as Alex was saying, he's like, yeah, we're getting harassed and exploited all the time. And to see them say, okay, Hey, you can, we're going to get rid of the divide and conquer, right? No, we're not going to sell out part-timers. We're not going to split the workforce. Um, we're going to give you a deadline. We're going to be there at the table. We're ready to do this. But we also, you know, we're not fools. UPS is not like a, a strapped company that's ready, that's facing bankruptcy. They're an incredibly profitable company that is still making gains from, um, from the pandemic. Um, so there's really no excuse other than power and control of the workforce in my mind. Exactly. And that divide and conquer is really something that workers have been organizing very consciously to overcome, as you might imagine, the um, part-timers and the drivers 
sometimes have different issues at the top of their mind. Sometimes they're, you know, not having that much interaction between them on the day to day. They work different shifts. They come in and leave at different times. Um, and I loved hearing in interviewing UBS workers around the country. I loved hearing about some of the creative organizing that people had done to bring them together, to get to know each other, to, to talk to each other about the concerns they have, to build that solidarity as they're building towards a possible strike. So for instance, in California, they had these um, they had these barbecues in the park mm -hmm. that uh, that were rank and filers organized by themselves. This wasn't even something the union local leadership had taken on. It was like people, uh, you know, brought in their tables and chairs and like set up so they could like have a have a social event, get to know each other. In Ohio, there was a, a part-time inside worker and a delivery driver who put together a joint petition that says, we commit to support your top issue and you commit to support our top issue. And like, we agree, these are both key. And went around talking to people and getting getting signatures on it. So many stories like that. Yeah, well, and you know, this is exactly this kind of, the rank and file have been organizing in a way that's, you know, relatively new to the Teamsters after years under Hoffa. And one of the, the points that you make, you know, because I mean, right now, this is, as we all know, the uh, mainstream media tends to focus on, you know, unions or tends to focus on kind of potential strikes at the very last minute. And they tend to focus on personalities, right? They feel, you know, and again, Sean O'Brien, like new president of the Teamsters, like, it's a big deal. He's basically saying, okay, no, we're we're a different kind of union. Um, but what you focus on in your article, right, is like, well, it's not like there's just this one kind of like guy on the white horse who rides in to change the Teamsters. There has been organizing to change the direction of the Teamsters that have been going on for decades. Okay, can you talk us through about that movement um that has gotten us to where we are now? It is a very big deal having a different leadership in the union and part of how that leadership came in is because so many thousands of rank and filers, as you said, have organized over years to change the direction of the union. If you look back, even uh, even before the the even two contracts ago in 2013, there was a vote no movement uh, among workers who were organizing, you know, often with the support of Teamsters for a Democratic Union, which has really been the anchor of of so much organizing it, you know, over the decades, really in the mm -hmm. Teamsters Union. In 2013, people organized a vote no movement saying this contract isn't good enough, it's laden with concessions, it also doesn't deal with our top concerns, which are harassment, constant harassment and surveillance by supervisors, what are you going to do about that? Um, and they didn't manage to to vote no on the contract, they, you know, the contract was voted up, but not, you know, by as much as the union leadership might have wanted. Um, but people did people made a lot of connections and, and built their local organizing and built it, you know, expanded their national network through that and coming out of that vote no movement there was a uh a campaign for for union leadership that um that almost unseated hoffa so in, in 2016 mm -hmm. uh when fred zuckerman was at the top of the ticket they they didn't uh but they almost did. it was like buy a hair mm -hmm. buy a nose uh hoffa stays in power and it was really clear i think at that point um that it could be done they didn't manage it this time but it could be done <laughs> And uh, and so then in 2018, another another contract negotiations comes around. That was when Sean O'Brien broke um, broke with Hoffa, extended a you know extended an arm to Zuckerman, and said you know these these leaders of big UPS locals ought to be part of the bargaining. Um, I think also seeing which way the wind was blowing, seeing that there was a reform movement that could win that was ultimately gonna win that he wanted to be on that side, um, and. Uh, and you know, Hoffa kicks him out, you know, right? Sort of like now he's with the other side. Um, but that contract, the 2018 one, made people even angrier because it created this two-tier system uh, among the drivers. So um, 
the the package delivery job. It is a grueling job. People are being forced to work too many hours. People are relentlessly harassed there too. The trucks are too hot. But over time, people have made it a decent paying job. Mm -hmm. Now, they should still get a raise. But compared to the part-time workers inside, right, they've made it a decent paying job. And now in this contract, a new lower tier was created of workers who are going to be doing those same driving jobs, but for much much lower wages. Uh, and the fig leaf was always going to be a hybrid job. I, you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, hybrid, <laughs> like some driving and some delivering. But anybody could see that it was just going to be drive. It was just going to be a way to d- deliver some of the packages cheaper with a lower yep. paid worker doing the exact same work. Um, so that's obviously unacceptable. People were furious. It's not fair. And even though, and keep in mind, even though the workers who were voting, no, they weren't themselves going to be getting this low wage. It was going to be people hired from then on. But you know that's wrong people get i think two-tier we see this in so many sectors two-tier pay two-tier pay is very unpopular because it's just plain unfair people can see it it's divisive you can see that it's going to divide your union uh it's going to weaken your union over time all the people who are newly hired under that are going to look and say and it puts a target on the back of the people who are left like yep. why would why would they want to keep you around if so-and-so can do the job for cheaper um so people voted no by 54 percent on that contract nope we don't want this and the union leadership under Hoffa imposed the contract anyway that was on, on the excuse that, uh, well, you you know, there's this rule in the Constitution, this loophole, that like if you don't have two thirds of the people turning out to vote on the contract, then even though it was rejected, we can impose it. Um, and, and I will say when they rejected it, UPS immediately was like, OK, we'll come back to the table like they could have gotten more. And instead, <laughs> they just said, no, take it, take it, take it. Uh, so people were furious and the momentum of that anger um built a bigger a bigger campaign to run a different kind of leadership in 2020 and they won and it was not close it was two to one they they threw Hoffa out and there was a really clear mandate um and i think uh you know throughout the campaign uh sean o'brien was saying we're gonna strike ups if we have to we're not afraid to um, he's continued to say that, like, that was clearly part of what people were organizing for and were voting for. Um, and and it takes a ton of grassroots organizing to to run a campaign. You know, I mean, you think of these campaigns, like when we see um, people running for president or something, right? It, it costs millions of dollars right. to run a political campaign. But a, a union campaign at the national scale, you're doing all that with grassroots fundraising. You're doing all that with people going out in the parking lot and handing out leaflets and getting people to fill out a card and you know it's like thousands of teamsters work to make that happen and and uh with a vision of what is a different kind of union going to look like um and it was clear to everybody everybody was talking about it from then that like we we were looking ahead to this moment three years hence that like what does this mean we have to be ready to strike ups the next time we have to come about it very differently yeah and to to keep sorry sorry go ahead I was just going to say, last, I'll let you get a word in edgewise, Kevin. No, no, please, please. uh, (laughs) You're here for this reason. (laughs) You know, something that uh, one of the workers I I spoke with, I thought, put it so well. He said, like, until recently, the company has used the strike as a weapon against us, as a threat, you know, to scare us. If if you don't accept this contract, you're going to have to go on strike. And what we're doing now is using the strike as a weapon against them and what a tool that is. And that's, that's what a strike should be. But it takes a lot of organizing to get you there. Yeah, this is this quote from uh, Carlos Silva on your piece, right? He said, well, we do this. Like, now it's the reverse. We're using it against them. That's a hell of a tool to have. right? I mean, that's awesome. I mean, and not only it's not awesome, just the fact that we that, that he's articulating that here, but it's understood as such. 
right? It's understood as a tool of power, right? Of fairness, of kind of like, and it's built in the memory. And Alex just kind of wrote into said, look, since that last contract, after three years, I make the same as someone who's just walking on off the streets at UPS, right? So they know. And, you know, that's also the credit to this kind of ongoing organizing to constantly say, no, the reason why you're still making the same as off the street is because of what they did to you on that last contract. That's why we voted no. And that's why we're not going to let it happen again. I mean, that is that speaks volumes to the kind of say, you know, again, worker to worker organizing that's going on to keep the memory of what happened to them and the reasons why it happened to them um, front and center and to say, nope, we're not going to do it this way this time. So, I mean, uh, yeah, so in more in these in it kind of in this piece. So now we're at this point, we're seeing this kind of this worker organizing take place. The, the contract is shut down um, or the, in, in during the last time. And now here we are, uh, workers are mobilizing and you know, the Teamsters seem to be um, pretty unified, right? Basically saying, hey, you know what? Picketing's, you know, picketing takes a lot of energy. So we're just going to go out and do some practice rounds. Right? We're going to let everybody know a little bit about what this looks like. I mean, what have been the scenes that have been happening on the streets right now? There's been practice picketing all over the country. Um, and it's, you know, it's really in part about showing UPS that the strike threat is real that it's not just a bluff. UPS hasn't been through this right. in 25 years. The last time there was a national UPS strike was 25 years ago in 1997. And uh, and I think the union was much less unified then than it was now. The, there was a reform leader in power then too, but he had, he had won by less mm -hmm. than, um, th than this one did. And, and the degree of grassroots organizing that has happened this year. So partly uh, this picketing shows UPS we're serious. We are ready. That's why they're back, right? Because they they were hoping that maybe they could still scare people off. Like, well, hey, do people really want to strike you? No one wants to strike. He's like, nope, we're ready. We're, we're doing it. Like, you want to see? Here we are. We're ready to show up. Um, the numbers of people that are showing up. And and in many places, too, I will say, you know, I think it's, it's, it's exciting to have that message coming from the top of the union, which is so different than what than what it has before in many places. Locals as well um, are working together with reformers. That's a different dynamic than we've seen before. You know, <laughs> the, 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 there have been times when when the local leaders would be very hostile to members who wanted to organize. And, and instead, you know, I heard a lot of stories of people who said, you know, we took the initiative, we organized the picket, but our local leaders said, great, how can we help you? <laughs> Do you want us to bring some signs? We'll be there. Um, but it's still been really um, members in many places mm -hmm. uh, doing it, taking the initiative to do it, not just sort of waiting for the union to announce when the picket right. is or for the union to is, but it's been like regular Teamsters uh, in all the different pieces of the job saying, you know, let, let's organize this. And not just not just recently when the when the practice pickets happened, but over the past year. So a year ago, there was a, a kickoff, um, you know, on the on the anniversary of the last UPS strike. Uh, kickoff rallies in in parking lots, you know, around the country at UPSs, um, and many uh, and many people took that as sort of their moment to start to start building momentum, start talking to coworkers, think about what are the things we need to do over the next year to get people ready. And they did things like uh, circulate a contract unity pledge card. Um, people wrote, you know, saying I'm willing to strike over, you know, here's yeah. what the top issues are, and I'm willing to strike over them gathering those, uh, you know, to build people's unity, to assess how much unity you have, figure out where your holes are. You know, if you do a pledge card and you figure out, well, we we got all the all the drivers to sign it, but we we didn't get any back from the hub. <laughs> like, oh, well, look at that. I guess it gets our right. network, but, you know, we figure out who do we talk to there. One of the people I interviewed, this didn't make it into the piece. 
she talked about how um, they had gotten, uh, they got 700 of the pledge cards. And she was like, we thought that was pretty good at the time. But, uh, but by the time we had the strike authorization vote, we got 1,025 people voting in the strike authorization vote. And that had shown that our organizing had grown. And I was like, wow, that is quite a bump up. How did you do it? She said, well, our core organizing group, it was a few of us feeder drivers and a delivery driver, but we didn't have the people who work in the hub, you know, yeah. and it's like, I go in there, I use the bathroom, I eat my lunch, but I don't know those people. We realized what we needed was to get the stewards in the hub involved. And they were the ones really who were going to be able to talk to their coworkers and get people involved and get people through their, their fears. I mean, you know, it's been a long time. It's been a quarter century since the strike. Most people who are working on the job today haven't been on strike at UPS before, maybe haven't been on strike anywhere before, maybe, you know, new Teamsters or new union members and have questions about what's this going to be like? What does it mean? If I'm one of these uh, lower tier drivers, what happens to me, you know, if uh, in, um, in another place, they started doing these breakfast meetings where um, after after people got off their shift, they would go over to a cafe mm-hmm. and chat and, you know, and they would hear one of the people in that workforce was was a veteran of the strike 25 years ago. So he would tell them about here what it was like. And some of people were getting info about about the campaign, talk about it, questions people have. And much of this activity was supported um, and 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 resourced and boosted by these webinars, these mm-hmm. uh, Zoom calls that Teamsters for a Democratic Union was hosting, um, where people would get on and share, you know, here's what we know about what's going on in bargaining. Here are some of the tactics we've been trying where we are. Here's some of the tactics, you know, you could try where you are. And those webinars went from 500 people to 1,500 people to 5,000 people. They just grew as the year went on and more people got excited and people heard from one another about tactics they might try and how to, how to sort of build that energy and that unity in their own UPS hubs. Yeah, I think it's incredible. I mean, there's there's this other story you tell in there, too, as well, about these workers that had organized like this petition drive, right? They're looking at what were some of the between the drivers and the folks that are in the hubs basically saying what are the part timers? Like, what are some of the issues that are absolutely critical for you? And there's some of the things that are important to us explaining not just that there are issues, but this is why. And then coming up and thinking through, okay, we can we can support each other in these demands. Right. So basically saying, okay, we'll walk if you don't get this and you will get this. I mean, that's an incredible show of solidarity right there to basically have it down to say, no, we are doing this at a local level (laughs) to say that this is what we're willing to do for each other. It's incredible. Yeah. And when we're working together in different jobs, you know, I think often there's lots of opportunities for friction, whether it's like yep. the way you loaded my truck isn't, you know, is no good or right. I think in, in different sectors, I'm sure there's sort of like, ah, why is the secretary done it this way? Why is the teacher, you know, never cleans her office? Why, you know, sort of like I'm, many of us, the sort of most immediate, uh, you know, points of connection we have with workers in another job, we might be pitted against each other. And so, you have to transform that and talk to each other and figure out, no, actually, we're all being sped up. And if your truck isn't loaded well, it's because they're making us do it too fast with too few people. And like, you know, we all need better staffing. And the way we do that is we need better wages. And here we are in this so-called labor shortage. But we all know that a labor shortage really just means you got to pay better. You want to hire people in. 
Exactly. You want to keep people there? That's what you got to do. The other point that you make here, too, as well, that I thought was a, a really interesting one is say, OK, it's one thing to say that we want a more democratic union, but it was almost seems like to be this 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 shift that took place in the Teamsters um, that was, seemed, for me, at least when I was reading your piece, fairly instrumental. I always remember the, like, the lore of the Teamsters was you always like you'd be at these big rallies, these labor rallies that were you know happening around some kind of issue that was coming up for a vote around budgetary issues. And then the big Teamster truck would pull up, right? And you have this load of Teamsters that would come out. And they always say, yeah, when the Teamster leadership says be there, they're there, right? But then they just go back home, right? You know, it's going to like, because they're just being told, okay, you show up for here. And in the piece, you make the sense that, well, there was like the tools were shifted from the kind of center to the periphery, right? To the locals basically saying, okay, now we're going to give you the tools, the support, right? All this stuff to do this, but you're going to do the organizing. It's kind of like you're going to be empowered to do this and then you're going to do this. And it seems to be that that's kind of one of these, I don't want to call it a secret, but that's one of these kind of key moments of saying that's where your power is built, right? Where the support from the center, from like the resources from the overall kind of say international and stuff is there to support the organizing that's on the ground and that builds a stronger union. That's right. There's no way, even, even with the best the best ideas at the top of the union you can't just implement a program from the top it just isn't possible mm -hmm. like you only have so many union staff they can't be in every workplace and we see with reformers at the you know at a local union level or certainly at a national union level the the reformers might have the right ideas but it's still got to be carried out in workplace upon workplace upon workplace it's going to be rank and filers who are going to have to do it. And so to be successful uh, in transforming a union, you can't just do it by we're going to, you know, we're going to announce from the top things are going to be different. I think it's important that they did announce from the top things are going to be different. And many things, you know, concretely have been very different about how the Teamsters leadership has acted in this campaign, including, for instance, ending the, they always used to talk about the brownout. They're like, yeah. You know you're in bargaining, but you don't know what's going on in bargaining. Have they reached yep. any agreement? You're like, you'll find out when it's done. Or you'll vote yes or no. They've been much more communicative about here's what we've reached agreement on. Here's where we're still pushing. But you can't do the organizing, you know, from an office in, in D.C. You right. have to do it in the workplaces, and it has to be the members. And so, like, to succeed, reformers have to, you know, celebrate that, empower it, resource it, say, great, we'll send you the tools, you know, we'll send you the plan, carry it out. Absolutely. And so let me, let me I'm kind of thinking about this in kind of a, in a, on a bigger scale, because we don't know what this is going to go. And we know that, you know, um, that uh, negotiations are resuming. We know that, um, you know, UPS, I think, is pretty convinced that the workers aren't bluffing here <laughs> right um i mean to the point where you've got you've got amazon and you've got the postal service basically saying well we can handle this number of packages but there's no way we're getting them all so you can you can feel it even in the industry itself saying look you know ups this is on you and i think that's all to the credit of you know the workers and the organizing has taken place but Oh, no, not a but. I should say, I think about what's happening at UPS right now, and I'm thinking back to this moment in the recent, well, ongoing SAG-AFTRA um, um, strike and the WJ, Workers, Workers, uh, the Writers Guild um, um, strike. And there was somebody had recently posted that they saw a UPS driver um, going by their strike lines, <clears throat> right, kind of gone there, and they yelled out, like, you're next, you're next! And the driver just wailed on their horn, gave them, like, the fist <laughs> up, like, as they're going by. Um, 
Oh, it's incredible. And you've got the news now the, that the pilots um, that fly the packages for UPS who are not undercovered under this contract have said, we will not fly the planes, right? Um, if there's no contract, we will not cross those picket lines. You've got, it seems that you've got this, um, this moment um, and I don't want to kind of romanticize it too much, be great. But I mean, the organizing that's happening at Starbucks, the, you know, the, the, the or, like coffee shop after coffee shop, um, the huge kind of initial strike folk. Now, obviously, the, the Amazon doesn't have a contract yet. The ALU doesn't have a contract yet. That's been ongoing. and But that's a huge first ever time they voted to bring in a union there. Um, you've got um, teachers unions that are going out on strike. Um, it seems right now that this is kind of like, you know, whatever, not to sound too much like the kids do these days, but like a hot union summer here. <laughs> right. I mean, from the perspective of someone kind of who's, you know, writing about this and following what's happening in the labor movement, how much do you feel that these kinds of strikes and these movements are kind of reinforcing um, and kind of lending energy to each other? To a great degree. To a great degree, they are reinforcing and lending energy to each other. I think you would. You put your finger on exactly what's so exciting about this moment. And in part, we're all responding to some of the same conditions. Mm -hmm. The pandemic uh, really made clearer, has made clearer uh, than ever how much the rich don't care about the rest of us and are willing to put our lives at risk so they can increase their profits. The, the amount that the billionaires expanded their billions, uh, profiteered off the pandemic while so many people were putting their lives on the line in their jobs um, is very clear. Uh, and and so many people are seeing that. Um, there's the climate crisis that, you know, there's a lot that sort of intensifies the feeling of like, now is the time. Uh, and then there's inspiration that we draw from one another. And when you see somebody organizing or striking you, think, well, maybe we could do that. Well, that's certainly exciting what they're doing. They seem to have power. The the evident power that the UPS workers have is hugely exciting <laughs> to all of us in the working class, right? Like they, Wall Street is freaking out. <laughs> the, the business press is freaking out. Like if this is a strike, it's really going to cost us a lot of money. Like that is hopeful. <laughs> that's like, oh, when we act in unity, in they listen. But we've seen over the last few years lots of examples of sort of surprising people who, you know, in a totally different sector, people like healthcare workers saying, well, I saw those Amazon workers, but they did, you know, we could do what Starbucks workers did, mm -hmm. that people feed upon one another, postal workers saying, well, we can't strike, but, uh, you know, maybe we could do more. <laughs> um, and they could strike, by the way, uh, just because there's a law saying you can't strike doesn't mean you can't strike. It just means it's riskier and it takes more organizing to succeed, but a strike uh, an illegal strike is how the postal unions first formed in 1970. And so many educators we've seen over the last two years striking, I think, paving the way for, for many of the people in other sectors, including uh, educators going out on illegal yep. strikes and, you know, in their power in numbers. So absolutely, these things build upon one another. And that is what labor knows is about, <laughs> is, you know, supporting those connections, encouraging them, creating a place for them. And the, the last conference in 2022 um, was the biggest and the most exciting <laughs> that we have had because um, because people came because, uh, you know, Amazon workers and Starbucks workers came fresh with those stories. Strippers who were on strike in Los Angeles came. Um, teamsters were there talking about the transformation they're making in their union. Auto workers who have since then, uh, you know, successfully built a movement that won 
one member, one vote democracy in their union and then ran people for office and won and a new leadership in that union is, uh, you know, going into bargaining with the auto companies with, again, a very different approach with, you know, saying we're going to do this bottom up. We're not going to just last week, they opened bargaining and the, the tradition in the auto workers is that they go and shake hands at the beginning of bargaining. The, the union leader and the CEO shake hands to show we're going into bargaining. The, the new leadership said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to shake hands with those guys until they work over a deal for our members. And instead, we're going to go out and spend the day shaking hands with members at the workplace and hearing from people about what their tough issues are. They've got a terrible two-tier or really multi-tier system yeah. in the auto plants and certainly seeing what UPS workers come out of this with is going to be a big deal for them in building that um, building that momentum for for that bargaining this fall. 100%. Well, uh, you look, I know that you're all going to be following this. I think that uh, we're all going to be following this now. Um, this is incredibly like this inspiring moment. And the, I mean, an all power to the decades of work that got us to where we are right now um, and the lessons that we can learn from this strike. And if there is a strike and if we get to this point, we are going to need to be out there on the picket lines um, in support of our Teamsters brothers and sisters um, to make you say that, look, we will be there for you, right? We will be there and we're in support. We're not going to be uh, part of the divide and conquer strategy that's saying the customers aren't going to get their packages. No, we're going to say that's where we're with them because you know what? They're the ones who bring us the packages, not the CEO making billions of dollars up there in the corporate headquarters. Um, well, listen, make sure that everybody you check out at Labor Notes. That's labornotes.org. You can follow um, Alexander Bradbury on Twitter at, at AL underscore Bradbury, B-R-A-D-B-U-R-Y. Um, but, you know, head on over to Labor Notes and check out all their stuff going on. Hit their events, um, click on the events tab you can check out the save the date notice right april 19th through uh april 19th 2024 to april 21st 2024 um that will be in chicago i mean who can't i mean who doesn't want to be in chicago come on get out there um that's coming up here um check out the workshop series that you can get online or things that may be coming to a town near you um and look you get the chance um hit that subscribe button at the top of their page right subscribe to labor notes support labor notes um because they are um the folks that have been there like like you said since 1979 um covering the kind of um on the ground daily the grind of organizing um to bring apart a powerful more militant more democratic um kind of working class movement really so um thank you for all the works you do out. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. It's been a pleasure. Solidarity. Solidarity. All right, everybody. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Want to remind you, you can help support this show. You can help support this program by heading over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You have a patron for as little as five bucks a month. And if you're watching us on YouTube, you know, give us that little like, give us that little subscribe. Let other people know how you found the show, why you like the show. Um, but for now, uh, we're just going to call it a night. I'm feeling pretty good. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling pretty good. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what happens here. Uh, the uh, August 1st is strike date, midnight, right? Uh, midnight, I, well, I guess it's July 30th, right? July, or is it the 31st? I forget. How many days in, in July? <laughs> right, so, so the, the deadline is the 31st. The strike would begin August 1st. August 1st, right? So the deadline is uh, July 31st. Everyone keep an eye on that. Uh, we'll be following it here at Raging Chicken. Um, and do check out late, uh, Labor Notes. Al, thanks so much. Um, thank you for your work and uh, have a great evening. You too. All right. This is Kev Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Um, we're getting out of here, everybody. Yes, uh, this is uh, the time we say goodnight to you. We look forward to the organizing of the week ahead. Uh, we'll see you on Friday for the Fri Friday Politics Roundup. And uh, keep an eye on uh, for our guests for next week. I'll let you know. See ya. Let me try my people